Oh, hey there, listeners and juicers. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you have fallen in love with the Draw Your Dice podcast and want to help put some new fruit on the table, but don't feel comfortable making a monthly commitment, well, you can support the show via the ACAST supporter feature. No gift too large, nor too small. Just click on the link in the show description and know that I am sending you the strongest hug when you do so. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Took a step back and I was like, the, the way that you fish isn't really like the fun here. It's like what... What is your relationship to the the queer gang and like how does that – how do we use the way you fish as a metaphor to say that? So like the rod and the reel like- – My name is Jeremy Gage and welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast. This is an educational show involving all things tabletop role-playing industry. Listen alongside me as we hear from creators, entrepreneurs, and supporters about their personal best practices, principles, and philosophies. I encourage anyone from the budding game designer to a seasoned publisher and everyone in between to sit down with us and enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast. This is Jeremy Gage, as you heard in the intro. But as I say in every episode, it's not about me. It's about who I've brought to you today. And I am excited about who I've brought to you. We've been in communications for weeks, weeks been setting this up. They are the publisher over at Riverhouse Games. They are the co-host of RSS Defiant. They are the host of Game Closet Podcast. I would like to welcome to the show. Taylor LaBresh. Yay! You were ready. You were ready. You knew it was coming. Hell yeah. I love it. Welcome to the show, Taylor. Thank you so much for having me, Jeremy. As always, as I open these things off, for Mm -hmm. people who may not be aware of who you are, would you give a brief introduction of how you present yourself to the internet and any additional plugs? Because I can't guarantee that everyone will make it to the end of this (laughs) podcast. So I want you to make money as soon as possible. Hell yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you. So I am Taylor LaBresh. I'm on Twitter at Leviathan Files. I have an extensive library of games that you can go and have fun with over at Riverhouse Games. 
Wow. Riverhousegames.itch.io. I am also the host of the Game Closet podcast. It's an informal chat show with all sorts of really amazing queer and LGBT plus folks in the tabletop RPG space. And then, like you said, I am also the co-host of the RSS Defiant. We are four friends with two missions. The first is to have fun, and the second is to objectively rank every single episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. <laughs> yeah. Like Hell yeah. And I'm, I'm super excited. I am a fan of the Draw Your Dice podcast. I... A long time listener, first time guest, but yeah, and I, I, I think that it's like really cool to have shows like this, which is similar to my show Game Closet, where it's like these one on one conversations. And I, I think the thing that I get out of your show that I super love, that I hope people get out of my show, is the kind of like conversational nature of games being the mode of discourse that I like really enjoy and engage in because like. It's mm-hmm. difficult for me to like read RPG theory and be like, yes, Ludo narrative discourse, or like, I, you know, any of these things. Like, it's it's not very accessible to me, even though I've been like doing games for five years, or, like playing games for more than twenty now. But like, it having you know face to face conversations or like listening to people casually talk about things is so much more of like a developmental boon to me than mm-hmm. like anything else. So before we jump in, like th- A, thank you for the opportunity to be on the show, but like B, thank you for like this show because it's it's super whips and I love it. Super whips. I've never heard that before <laughs> and it's stolen. Yes. No, I feel very similar energies from the episodes I've listened for Game Closet so far. I love I feel the exact same way. Mm-hmm. There's this like barrier for me when it comes to more like traditional academia style learning, like mm-hmm. absorbing through written articles or or I mean there's there's definitely a time and a place for reading mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. There should be people that are reading every day. But I definitely like in an auditory way. I prefer learning, you know, I prefer audiobooks and things of that nature. And Mm -hmm. I also love the parsing of like simple explanation because when you engage in a conversation with someone in in this style of format, especially for our preferred industry or medium, Mm -hmm. excuse me, it, it helps with the level of understanding that like, you know, I'm a five-year-old. Tell, tell me <laughs> what I need to know. I can't use, like, ludonarrative discourse to to absorb information, unfortunately. Yeah. I need it to be parsed down to me, and I think, I think that you do a really great job. Hell yeah. Thank you. Of course. In addition to that introduction as an icebreaker for the guest, could you also share with us your sort of opening journey of, you know, what got you into the role-playing hobby and what games or discipline, however you want to coin it, hobby sometimes makes it sound small, and that is not the case. <laughs> it is an industry all its own. But what also was maybe the first game that sort of got you into thinking about game design mm-hmm. or creating content in that space? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my answer changes like every year. Perfect. Because uh, there there is no concrete version of the self. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Constantly <laughs> fractal. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm a big Walt Whitman fan. So, you know, the, the cliche of I am large, I contain multitudes is very true. But yeah, no, I, I learned to read very early on because like my, my dad made it a big point to like read with me every night and like really encourage me to develop that skill. So I was reading from like two years old on and starting in kindergarten, like anytime that I was like with other kids, like on the playground for recess or whatever, I would be reading to them. And the thing that we really loved doing was getting choose your own adventure books from the library. And I would essentially be like walking my friends through 
these choose your own adventure books. And because, because there is a finite supply of those books and an even smaller supply at whatever, you know, school library you can, you can access on any given day, we ran out after a short while. And so what I would do is I would bring a choose your own adventure book and pretend like I was reading from it, but essentially just like make up my own stories on the playground. And so that is like essentially how I got into like the act of doing this sort of like interactive storytelling game play stuff. And then, so like fast forward a few years to uh, like a summer orchestra camp. And you, I mean, you could see I have my bass <laughs> behind me. Like, so I, I bring that up because like music and, and like tabletop RPG stuff is always linked to me just because I, I approach the way that I do both art forms kind of the same way. And because they both have like a similar start in my history in that the summer orchestra camp after fourth grade, where I picked up the bass is where like, I really started to get into like the actual TTRPG side of things where it's like, Hey, you know, let's, let's, play Dungeons and Dragons. Let's play these games like with rolling dice instead of just like doing a choose your own adventure story and picked that up and ran with it for like a good 15 years. And I was one of those people where I was like, I'm a nerd so I can play Dungeons and Dragons, but I'm not that much of a nerd. So that's the only tabletop game that I play, which was a bummer. And I wish that I had broken myself out of that uh, a long time before I did. So I played Dungeons and Dragons for way too long and, and started looking at other games kind of when I made it into college the game that really like got me going like oh i can do this i have no clue what the game itself is actually called but there's a podcast that was run by the now host of the one shot podcast network james damato and that podcast was called like critical theory or critical reads or something it's no longer out like he's not doing it anymore but they ran a game design contest for one of james's friends or like maybe there's an advertiser i don't know to say like hey make a character or make a class or a playbook or whatever for this this game and it was like a d10 percentage success skill whatever game and i looked at that i was like oh i really love this podcast maybe i'll like do this this design thing and so i made a playbook that was based off of the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and i used brand language from those stories and so my submission was rejected outright and i said hey <laughs> You know what? Screw you. I'm going to do this for real now. And I started writing my own games. So yeah, very long rambling story that culminates in a moment of spite. But it's a very positive, like, uh, momentum building moment for me. Uh, well, first of all, I, not a ramble, and I always love long answers. Yes. You know that. You're a fan of the show. Yeah. We like long here. Yeah, the I love that sort of when my brother and I were... I want to say three and five. My brother is two years younger than me. Mm. We learned to read through video games. We didn't learn to read through books because mm. at the time, that's when things like Final Fantasy VII had just come out. We were playing games like Saga Frontier, mm -hmm. yay for the remaster. But like PS1 and N64 and Super Nintendo were like how we taught ourselves to read because we wanted to understand what was happening in the game. So all the dialogue mm. boxes and stuff like that. And our mom was a very like hardworking woman, was always gone for like 12 hours of the day and our dad was sort of like entrepreneurial and run a lot ran a lot of like self businesses so mm -hmm. it wasn't as we did like homeschooling and things like that so a lot of our own learning was by us but we were also very like young readers in the sense that 
we were kind of always ahead of our grade based on like the language that was filled in video games intended for like 14 year old and mm-hmm. higher demographics. So I, I totally relate to games being sort of my first <laughs> reading space and the music and RPG. I also wanted to comment on like music is such a powerful component for play. It's such like a ritualistic thing and it's such an atmospheric concept. I, w- I recently started watching Fantasy High by Dimension 20 mm-hmm. with Brennan Lee Mulligan. And in spoilers for Fantasy High, if you are watching it, but there's this sequence for the first time, Brennan is sort of playing with the idea of nightmares and like mm-hmm. fear and in- fear induced in the characters. And there, you know, the show's very like classically bitty and kind of meta meta breaking. And I love it. It's so funny. It's a bunch of comedians just like going in at it. Mm-hmm. But there is a sequence where one of the characters is in like this tent and they start having a nightmare and there's this like creepy figures kind of like stalking them in the shadows of this small, small single person tent. Mm. Like its face is just obscured by a flap of the entrance of the tent. And there's just like this big ominous music that's been playing for like four four minutes or something like that. Mm -hmm. And you can tell he's waiting. He's staring at at the player and like his hand is like in some sort of position. I think he has like a laptop or something that controls the music behind there, but he's waiting, waiting, waiting. And the second she finally like engages in role plays to contact, like to yell out to an NPC, he cuts the music. Mm. He's like, you know, if you look at this thing's face, something very bad is going on. And all mm. the other players are just like in that the silence is so loud for them. Mm-hmm. So it's such a powerful, I think there needs to be more consideration for like playlists on Spotify and stuff that like really set the mood for specific RPGs. So I, I love that. I love that mm-hmm. that's been a part of your, of your l- younger life. And I also love that you chose to game design because <laughs> a someone you looked up to is like, Hey, here's a, here's a thing I'm doing. Everyone sort of make a thing for you. Like, cool. I can make a thing for this. I've been, yeah. I've been checking it out for a while. And then when it was rejected, like, fuck you, I'm still making <laughs> this thing. I'm still putting it out there. I love that energy. Fight, yeah. fight to the power <laughs> stuff in the air. Shaking. Hell yeah. Uh, that's, that's amazing. Uh, thanks. Thank you for sharing that Taylor. Hell yeah. So, Talk to me a little about because we're we're gonna get into one of the games, mm-hmm. but initially I'd love to talk about sort of Riverhouse Games, the mm-hmm. sort of game design company you've set up as a front for for your content production, mm-hmm. and just the principles behind that because you sort of say it outright in the slogan of the website and on the itch page. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about queer tabletop role playing games. Yeah. So Riverhouse Games, Riverhouse is an actual place. For a couple of years, my friends rented a house on the Mississippi River in, in Minneapolis. And so, you know, that was always like a space that was before really the majority of my friend group had a, like a house. So everyone was in apartments before then. And this was the first like house house that, that someone owned in our social group. And so it was kind of like the the connecting point. Like everyone would go to the river house to like do their parties or to like watch movies or to hang out. And it was a group that I like started playing games with. And then as I started developing games, like would test them out. So we'll talk about this is a game about fishing. Like the first time that we ever, that that game was like ever played or like the early playstorming sessions of that were in the river house. And actually the, the picture of a river on the iTunes, like logo icon for game closet is the view 
from the backyard of that house. So it, it, it's very special to me, like yeah. the advent of my journey in in this like artistic endeavor, which is why I named like my my game entity after that. Yeah, and I I think that the more and more I like do game things in this sphere, the more I think about like the, the emotions that I had starting that, like what are the things that were in the river house that I want to impart on my game design ethos or the way that I run the business. And I, you know, again, always fluctuating, always changing. So like in a year I might have a different opinion than this. And I certainly now have a different opinion than I did a year ago, but like mm-hmm. I'm really trying to go back to some of those things. And, you know, I, I've hesitated saying like the game design industry or like my, my business here. Cause like I, right now I'm trying to like really aggressively demonetize my, my experience in this space and like separate what I'm doing with games from like, being a business or like you know Mm, mm. producing a product that is then purchased or like really kind of like upholding anything here so like right now i i think for riverhouse games it's very much an ethos of like these are these are games and experiences that are important to me as the designer that i hope are important to you as the reader or the player and they're going to happen according to my schedule of maintaining my mental health they're going to happen according to you know a timeline of inspiration like the the river is going to twist and turn and it'll end when it ends and it'll twist when it twists and it will rush when it rushes and like i'm not going to try and force that and yeah i and i think that that like again looking at how i i view my presence in this space like that's very much like the attitude and energy that i'm trying to bring to anything that i do that's that's really cool. I just just so that, you know, it's about removing the weight of business from the design principles of what you're making, right? You're not making for the demographic. You're hoping that the mm, experience that you are translating to your personal brand is the thing that attracts people to give you support for these creations, right? Yeah, and s- sort of. I-, I think it's less less so the like who I make for and about, and it's more so like yeah. the relationship that I have to like what is a customer in the tabletop RPG space. Like, I don't want customers. Mm-hmm. I want people to like come and play my games and be moved by the art that I create. And I, I think long term, I would be really overjoyously happy if I didn't have to rely on any money coming in from it. Because then I would just be able to say, like, here's what I do. If you want to give me money, great. If you don't, you know, that's also great. Because, like, the thing that I'm really trying to avoid is, like, anyone who's worked retail knows that there's an entitlement to a customer. Like, with a capital C customer. And I had a really, really disgustingly bad experience with uh, Kickstarter that I ran for one of my games called The Treasure at the End of This Dungeon is an Escape from This Dungeon and We Will Never Escape from This Dungeon, (laughs) where I had one of my backers sending me really nasty messages on a very frequent basis, like, hey, why isn't this out yet? Like, you need to be sending more updates. And, like, sure, yeah, like, I'm not sending updates every month because, like, I'm not going to just say, like, hey, we're working on it or, hey, I'm waiting for people to get back to me. And so this person you know, clearly had a different expectation for what the experience was going to be out of this Kickstarter. And 
like it got to the point where they were leaving comments on the page and being like, you know, hey, this person's sketchy. They're not doing anything clearly like just the worst behavior that a human being could do. Like and I, I will say, like, again, like they with an asterisk on us, like they weren't being you know bigoted. They weren't like calling me homophobic slurs or whatever. They were just being like an overly entitled customer. And they started like. They started talking about personal details of my life, like they were following my Twitter and like getting way too involved. I went to Kickstarter support and they were like, there's nothing that we can do about it. He's not breaking our TOS, even though clearly in the terms of service, there's like 10 different things that he's doing that he's not supposed to. So, yeah, I I like I. I shut everything down. I like went unlocked on Twitter. I made a personal account and it like really was this crystallizing moment of me being like, I don't want to do any of this, even if it's not like to this extent, like I don't want to have like someone, I don't want to have a good customer, you know, I don't want Mm -hmm. to have customers period. I want to Mm -hmm. be able to make the games that I make and have people engage with them in a way that doesn't set those entitlements in their minds in the first place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think that that is an advent of the Kickstarter space as far as it connects to tabletop games? Or do you feel that's sort of like just a common, you know, in relation to games, do you think that's just a, a common mm-hmm. customs, capital C customer thing that you experience on maybe like Itch2 or a personal website or anything like that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I think that Kickstarter exacerbates the problems but like Mm -hmm. i i think that it's really going to be the like i said like i don't want to have a customer like whether that's on itch whether that's on kickstarter whether that's on like my patreon although i i think my patreon is the the best example of the customer creator relationship that i've seen so far in that Mm -hmm. i i have a relationship with my patrons where they just like give me a small amount of money on a regular basis that then adds up to like covering one or two of my bills and they get everything that I make. Like all of my, my patrons get early access to game closet episodes. And depending on what level you back at, you either get the full, like the text of every game that I make or the, like the fully laid out PDFs of everything. And like, I literally had a great interaction with one of my patrons where they opt to a higher tier, which would have given them like some extra stuff. And I was like, Hey, thanks for, for jumping on. Like, thanks for bumping this up. Do you, you know, what can I do for this level? And they were like, don't worry about it. Like I just did it. Cause mm-hmm. I could, you, you live your life. And like, that's the ideal interaction. If money's involved in my game process, which again, like long term, I don't want it to be right. But at the same time, my day job doesn't pay me enough to like cover all of my bills and let me have a like a comfortable amount of money to spend on things. So yeah, I I, I think it's to be long. And again, we like long on the show. Like to come around full circle, it's like I I don't want to have a customer interaction. I don't think that it's specific to Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely. I mean. I have worked in restaurants for uh, a decade mm-hmm. of my life, and I there's just this thing. I can like, <laughs> this is maybe slightly weird, but like I can smell it on a person. Yeah. <laughs> I can smell the privilege coming off of a person the second they walk in a door. I don't know if it's like just the training I've had being <laughs> table side service, but there's it's always the person who screams like. I'm going to tell all of my friends yeah. that this place has such poor service and you've lost a big chunk of your revenue. I'm like, have I? 
Have I, it's, the, it's that goddamn TikTok. Yeah, thing exactly. Extreme music. It's like, really? Tell them. Go tell them. I'll em. tell them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't want your crab ass friends here anyways. Yeah. And I think there's definitely some energy in that of like, Especially, like, I think, like you said, exasperated by how Kickstarter sort of uses its mm-hmm. language to talk to the people who who are supporters of projects and that they are the catalyst mm-hmm. for success for a creator. Mm-hmm. And that really, like, warps people's perceptions of how a piece of content product service is Mm -hmm. executed upon by the individual who is giving you that, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, there's, you know, it's the same as like, do you really know what goes back on in the kitchen? I, as your server (laughs) have no control over the temperature at which you cooked your food, but I'm the only person you can yell at. Yeah. I I just think there's this invisible wall where they think automatons are creating product and the only human connection is the Mm -hmm. error in in that thing yeah i i totally agree that there's a a methodology and it exists out there for sure i mean as you just talked about a great Mm -hmm. experience with patreon but there is definitely a way to separate yourself and control sort of the demographic and also i think what i'm trying to point out here for anyone listening who may be sort of new to this i don't want to say self-confidence that's not like the right word for lack of a more refined term (laughs) like this this self-confidence thing yourself to say no to like i don't care you know i will there are people out there who care about me there are people out there who will support me whether that be close social relationship intimate relationship parasocial whatever have you but they they like what i'm doing they like what i stand for they like that i don't make for them i make because this is an expression of who I am, right? Because mm-hmm. game game design is still an art form mm-hmm. at at the end of the day, right? Mm-hmm. So I definitely think there's. I mean, Tracy Barnett is a really great example of people who are like crushing that side of just designing for themselves, putting something out, and say, "Hey, pay me whatever you want. You can have all my games. Mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck." And yeah, I think I think that's really cool that you're moving in that direction, and I'm I'm here to support it. I'm yeah. here to give it all and tell everyone to go fuck off if they want to be a capital c here i broke my own pg-13 i i'm glad that you brought up tracy though because like i i have endless respect for the people who can like because like here's the thing about i i love tracy so much Mm -hmm, they mm -hmm. they were the project manager for descent into midnight which is like the biggest game that i've ever worked on Mm -hmm. they were the project manager for the kickstarter for that and like we literally would not have even come close to being as successful as we did uh without their help but, like, mm-hmm. Tracy has such a genius mind about, like, the project management and, like, the – not administrative, but, like, the, the like, behind-the-scenes stuff of, like, games. So the fact that they can do all of the game design that they're doing and make it look so casual to the outside observer, like, is n- it boggles my mind. Like, I do not have those <laughs> skill sets. So I, I wanted to make sure that I took a moment to be, like – there's so much work that Tracy's putting into mm-hmm. into all of this, and still it appears that they're doing it in a way that's healthy for them. So, like, yeah. I think that's the magic thing because, like, 
if if it was healthy for me to like do project management for my games to like mm-hmm. really get into the business side, I would be doing it. Like I don't right. want to be a year behind on this Kickstarter, Mister Dude, who messages me every week. Like I don't. Neither of us want me to be in this position right now. But like, I, it, it took me five years to recognize that and like start to demonetize and like de-business my space here. And like another thing that we haven't even touched on is like there's there's privilege in me being able to do that. Like this isn't my day mm-hmm. job. Like I'm not like there are people out there for whom this is their, their food on the table, roof over their head income. And I'm yep. lucky enough that I don't have to do that because I've proven over five years that I'm f- PG 13. I'm <laughs> <laughs> you can say it. No, do it. Give me the ass. I'm fucking crap at it. Like it's horrible. <laughs> I don't like doing mm-hmm. it and I'm not good at doing it. So I'm not going to mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the other thing, too, is to consider, like, if, you know, obviously not for you specifically, Ted, but for anyone who, like, is in the same boat, but they still want to do this as their means to an end, Mm -hmm. like, figure out how to work in a project manager like Tracy who can help support, like, form a support team Mm -hmm. that can, can give you the leverage to be creative, because game design is still a part of the work that takes time, energy, Mm -hmm. creative flow, like resources. We, you know, an indie game designer wears a ton of hats, but I think there's a consideration for like, when you start to think about business things, also consider like, can you work with a team? Do you need a team, Mm -hmm. right? If you're a person who's not good at project management, hire Tracy. Mm -hmm. If you aren't a good editor, or if you feel like you're, you need some other eyes on it, hire people like Will Yopes or Adam Bass, Mm -hmm. right? Like any of those creators out there are people who are able to be support systems. Hire visual layout people like Clayton Notstein or Nevin's partner Jam, like Dinoberry Jam over on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Like I'm doing a total like pitch for people right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm I'm saying there are people there are definitely people out there ta- even there is a tax consultant for specifically for game designers and game creators out there who understand like what they're looking at and can help you find tax breaks in place is that you may have never considered because art mediums are a hard thing to like wrap your mm-hmm. head around taxes wise. So like find the support system if you want to. They are out there and you should definitely form it if it's something that that you're considering. Mm-hmm. Great, great listener. So your experience, your, what, is, what is your, before we get into this game is about fishing, kind of to, to finish talking about Riverhouse games as a general whole, mm. what what experience are you trying to translate through your games? What are you trying to express to people through your Designs recently, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's evolved over time. But what are what are your more recent principles or experiences in the games that you're trying to capture? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think it it is that like the two word summation on the you know my website that I haven't touched in forever. Like weird, weird and queer. Like I want games mm-hmm. that 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 are weird, and I want games that are queer. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes those go kind of hand in hand. Like again, keeping it PG thirteen, but I do have an. Uh, and a more adult game called Let These Mermaids Touch Your Dick maybe which is like <laughs> a game about like how do you how do you have conversations with your friends about like what you think is sexy and it like I won't go into detail about that game just in case you know there are any PG13s out there but like it it's a game that like it doesn't feel like a game and mm-hmm. 
and it sure certainly should not feel like it's straight. Like, short aside on that, like, there's still the, I think maybe the thing that, like, really broke in my mind, like, I don't need to make everyone happy, was someone on Board Game Geek wrote a very scathing review of that game with the mm. assumption that I was a straight man. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, sure, like, if you're reading that game as if me, the author, am straight, it's not great. But if you're reading uh. it being like, wow, this is a gay guy talking how much talking about how much he wants to be gay, then that's where I think it sings. So, like, yeah, it, it, it's really about, like, how do we, how do I push myself in terms of, like, being weird and being queer? Mm-hmm. I, I've also, two years now, run the Not A Game Jam Game Jam, which, mm-hmm. like, going way back to the start of the show, like, if I can make something out of spite to be like, no, no, F you, I think that that's a, a useful energy. And so every... Every year for those game jams, I'm I really encourage people to be like, make a game that pisses off that person who like calls your games not games, you know, like Mm -hmm. do it because they said that it wasn't. And there's a lot of that kind of like running through a lot of the games in Riverhouse. And I I feel like right now the games that I've really written kind of in pandemic, I I have 30 games up on the the itch.io really only two of them in the last year. Like, I've slowed down so much in the pandemic. But the two mm-hmm. games that I've written recently, Machine Gun, which is based off of the jazz album of the same name, and These Jellyfish Aren't Real, which is based off of a <laughs> an assignment that I got in my college ethics class. Both of those are things that I'm, like, frustrated about. One more serious than the other. Machine mm-hmm. Gun is, like, I'm very frustrated at people who are, like... I don't know how to play this or like, I don't know what to do in this moment in, in games. Cause like I've been playing games for more than 20 years and mm-hmm. you know, again, I can recognize someone's experience is different than my own, but like I mm-hmm. fundamentally don't understand again, because I've been doing this for 20 years mm-hmm. and my experience is not going to be different than others, but like, it's still kind of weird to wrap my head around not knowing what I want to do in a game or being like, Mm -hmm. I don't know how to, you know, these mechanics, I don't know how they match up or like I'm, I'm Mm -hmm. lost. And to take it back to my analogy of music, it's like, if you don't know what to do when you're playing a song, like that, the album machine gun is a wall of sound. It's a, it's an octet of jazz music musicians who just go into the booth and make an atrocious wall of noise. And it, it's it's like a middle finger to like any sort of like hesitation in improvisation. And so mm-hmm. for wall of jet or for machine gun, I asked the players like you here's a list of rules, and depending on how fast your GM can look up the music to Machine Gun by Peter Bratzman and the quartet or the octet, you can read through however many rules but at the end of the day like you're going to be screaming like this is a game where you just make noise <laughs> to like get that out like and you're gonna feel frustrated mm-hmm. at certain points because like you don't have all the rules you're gonna feel like lost because like you're you're not looking to do something that you're used to do but like i want you to just make noise like the game tells you mm-hmm. if, if you don't know what to do just shout because like you don't need to know how to play this game in order to play it and then uh, jellyfish aren't real is a, a game that is based off of like a thought experiment in ethics where, you know, you're supposed to imagine yourself walking past a lake and you see someone who's drowning. You obviously go help them. But what if you're walking past a lake and you see someone who's drowning, but you're in a hurry to go renew your car registration? Do you still help them? Mm. You know, mm-hmm. I would say yes. And then that thought experiment is like, keep adding details to find out mm-hmm. when you say no. 
and I guess like to wow. yeah, and it, it's used wow. <laughs> right exactly. It's, <laughs> it's make me think right now. <laughs> like if if you're if you're trying to get to the hospital to see your grandfather who maybe has five minutes left, and you see this person drowning, do you stop and help them? Like mm-hmm. it's supposed to find those extremes to say like what what responsibilities do we have to other people and then abstract that out to be like so if you said that you know you wouldn't you would stop to help someone who's drowning if you were just trying to get home from the grocery store well there are people out there who are drowning it just doesn't look like they're underwater like why don't you mm. give why don't you stop and give money to homeless people on your way home from the groceries cuz like mm-hmm. they're they're struggling for their life it mm-hmm. just doesn't look like it to you, and it, it's supposed to argue like that w- that we should be doing more as a society to help the people who are struggling. And so, these jellyfish aren't real. It was written kind of in the early days of the the twenty twenty election to say like you know we shouldn't be looking to see who is the candidate with the most harm reduction. We should be looking to see the candidate who can do the most to, to save the people who can. And it was my, my frustration about people who were really trying to argue for Joe Biden over Bernie Sanders or, or other candidates on the basis that, you know, for whatever political basis. And so that's, you know, those are the things that I'm looking at in terms of like my game design now to say like, what do I want to create? And like, how can I express these things that I wish people knew about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Processing <laughs> a lot here. No, I love it. I love that I'm processing a lot. For Machine Gun, just to touch on that for a moment, mm-hmm. for how it sort of relates in, in my mind is I'm a big like fail faster mm-hmm. sort of person. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck it up, do it messy. Absolutely. Because if you don't do it messy, you'll never do it. Like, because it's going to be messy. Yeah. Like, if you can't, if you can't consider doing it a messy bad way you'll never you'll never achieve like the perfect wrinkly brain perfect way right like it's just not gonna happen because you lack the experience you lack the knowledge and you lack the trial and error that comes with building a skill building knowledge building relationships building really anything Mm -hmm. truly at the end of the day and you know there are best practices but even if you learn all of those you know, these hands don't know how to sew. So I can look up all the sewing videos in the world, but the second I start trying to figure it out, I'm probably going to prick myself 10,000 times. You know what I mean? So I love, I am in a similar headspace of like when people, I think the, the more direct thing when it comes to games is that it's that loss of the child inside Mm sort of thing when you're playing games like you feel embarrassed or hesitant because you're not sure what the right like move is here to improv or to execute gameplay Mm -hmm. right in a way that doesn't cause you shame or guilt and i'm here to say tell you just just play the game just play Mm -hmm. right figure out what the param like the rough parameters are and then just roll with it i think people are willing to help you too Mm -hmm. like I I like to be the person at the table that like role plays extra hard just so some <laughs> other people will role play, right? Like I'll contort my face, I'll put on a really rough voice and I'll just yeah. start screaming. <laughs> and everyone's like, "Whoa, dude, chill." Yeah. And I'm like, "Hey, how about you hype up?" Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Release, dude. So, Machine Gun is very cool. I love I love that con- conceptually and experientially. Yeah. Uh, as far as jellyfish, the jellyfish aren't real. I love that you are producing 
something that talks about thought experiments that kind of go that aren't challenging enough for people. Like I think people ex- uh, thought experiment all the time, mm-hmm. right? We talk about help hypotheticals with our partners, with our loved ones, our intimate relationships, our personal relationships, our parasocial Twitter relationships, twitter.com, but they aren't always challenging. They're always like the safe mm-hmm. conception, right? And I love that this one specifically talks about like are you going to help a person who's struggling? Mm-hmm. What are you willing? It's it's kind of like also examining like opportunity cost type mm-hmm. things like what are you giving up by like the the grandfather examples like it's probably going to take you five minutes to save this person. Mm-hmm. Is that something you're willing to exchange? Right? Because mm-hmm. one thing I think is important to note about that sort of theoretical is that you're giving something up to do something else. Mm-hmm. For me, like I would, my grandfather lived a long life. I got to hang out with my grandfather for 89 years mm-hmm. and the, yes, it will suck that I will miss these final five minutes, but this person, we don't know how old this person mm-hmm. is, right? Who's struggling in this, in this hypothetical child, an adult, whatever have you, another person who may have five more years mm-hmm. unless you walked by, right? Are you going to trade five seconds for five years? I think that's how I look at mm-hmm. it. So it is, it's very cool. Mm-hmm. It's very, very cool. And I think it's something that I see a lot in like lyric games as well. I see it in even some like LARP games that I've been exposed to, like really these more challenging thought experiments of like, what are you willing to consider mm-hmm. here with us today? Like even in a group, right? Like some of these games are solo, but some of them are like group play. And it's like, Hey, we're all making this decision to like walk by this person mm-hmm. are we all still cool with and yeah i just it's good it's real good <laughs> hell yeah games are good games whip yeah games whip. <laughs> second time second time he'll be embedded definitely weird and queer i'm here for it let's segment ourselves over into actually talking about and digesting one of these games let's talk about this game is about fishing this is a game about yeah. fishing so why don't you, because you'll do a way better job <laughs> as I already fucked up the title, why don't you give a brief premise synopsis of the yeah. game? Yeah, so this is a game about fishing is uh, a game that I've been working on that has taken many different incarnations over the years that I, I like to say it's like doing a kickflip over a, or a, doing a sick kickflip over the curb, but instead of a skateboard, it's a shad wrap, and instead of a kickboard uh, kickflip, it's crime, and instead of a curm, it's the erosion of our ecological systems brought on by capitalism. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's like it's a very stylized game that is essentially just like, hey, a dozen people like killed the world. Like there are one hundred billionaires who are responsible for climate change. They all have names and address. And like sometimes you just need to go put a wrench in their window. Mm-hmm. But if I wrote a game being like, hey, go put a wrench through Jeff Bezos's window. A, that would end me up on a lot of watch lists, but then, like, (laughs) B, I don't think that it, like, I don't think that that's a satisfying experience to do. Like, yeah, it's cathartic to just be like, yeah, screw you. But, like, for me, the more I stylize it and the more that I make it, like, a fun experience to do and play, the more that I think, like, I can impart some of those feelings, you know? Like, I I don't want to be quote-unquote mean i guess my my personal philosophy is that you can't be mean to billionaires no matter what you do because everything is justified but i I think if you can like 
set it up as like almost like this rocket power esque to use a, a Nickelodeon 1990s reference. If you can like be like a gang of queer youth like going and running and like rescuing fish from like people because like the general conceit of the game is like it it's in the near future following ecological collapse and now like for the most part 90 percent of the earth's fish species are extinct mm-hmm. and the people who who keep fish are like the rich elite so you like go up and you rob these rich people like you steal their fish and you can like either bring them to like wildlife ecological groups or like do whatever you know it, it's this very like heist like queer youth heist ensemble games yeah amazing yeah i i when i when i first started like the first pass Mm -hmm. i did of it i was like wait what is it wait what is happening (laughs) and then the second pass like oh i i definitely get it because i am big on like solar punk Mm -hmm. like aesthetics i'm big on like hope punk and eco punk and things like that so i was really excited to like sort of chew on this game and what i like that that you were talking about is that, you know, you could have been really heavy handed mm-hmm. about what you were trying to say here. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think there is an enhanced effectiveness in making something that is a little bit more easily parsed by a random player right some people may not have context for like who jeff bezos Mm -hmm. is because that's a possibility right no access to the internet or whatever have you they don't use amazon which is hard to believe but it is (laughs) it is true i have met those people and there is something about like there i've spoken with some other creators on the show adam bell with reliance also also adam bell with grasping nettles Mm -hmm. uh and no stone unturned uh, a lot of those games have things to say about the environment, about taking down the current status quo and the means in which you do that. And without like relating to current events or current personalities, it is. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Letting you, it's again, it's a thought experiment, mm-hmm. right? It's another theoretical of like, hey, if the world ended up in this way, like our real world, what what choices would you make again, right? Are you going to sell the fish to help establish those powers, mm-hmm. right? Are you trying to save what's left of this dying world? Are you trying to restart the dying world, right? Are you trying to help those eco-environmentalists re- re-establish the fish population? Mm-hmm. We need fish, people. Yeah. There, soon there will be more plastic than fish in the Oof. world. I'm here to say that. Yeah, we need to do it. We need to do the damn thing. So play this game. Yeah. I, I don't know what to tell you, <laughs> but you got to figure it out. You got to get woke. Yeah. But yeah, I I love it. I love how it's delivered. I think there's a lot of really cool, like fun language. I think your, your like authoritative voice here in the, or not even really authoritative, just like, Hey, this is the way the world is. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's an old codger rock. Yeah. In a chair, like remembering <laughs> the last 60 years. Yeah. And like, hey, you whippersnappers, yeah. you do what you got to do. I remember back in my day, I blew up an entire <laughs> billionaire's warehouse just to get these fish back out into the ocean. Yeah. So I think that's all very cool in the sense of like how it's how your challenge to current status quos is being delivered mm-hmm. to people. And there is a space and time for heavy handedness. I don't want to I don't want to be the person that's talking about like always deliver the soft version of your theories like because that's that's not always helpful. You need sometimes you really need to be heavy handed. I think you do a really good Mm -hmm. mix is what I'm really like rambling towards is that you do a really good mix of like, hey, just do what you believe Mm -hmm. in like and you'll figure out what's right for you and that will help speak volumes to other people Mm -hmm. so really really cool work there as far as like constructing the playbooks and sort of like trying to capture a narrative in this what what were you trying to capture what were like some of the tropes or touch points that you were trying to get to the player's mind in this Mm -hmm. experiential game yeah i think that that is a, a big question it's a good question because so the the playbooks all are around like a different kind of fishing, at least to start mm-hmm. with. Like you have your your rod and reel. You have the oh goodness, yeah, yeah, like different ways. Like the rod and reel, than the net, like the crafter. I'm trying to remember like the playbooks that are in there now because like it's gone through so many iterations. Just because I'm I'm never happy with it, and I. I started with that and just being like, oh well, it's just the different types types of the way that you fish. But then I like took a step back and I was like, the the way that you fish isn't really like the fun here. It's like, what, what is your relationship to the the queer gang? And like, how does that, how do we use the way you fish as a metaphor to say that? So like the Mm -hmm. rod and the reel, like when you, when you fish with a fishing rod, like your strategy is all about like planning. Like you, you need to Mm -hmm. know where you're fishing. You need to, for the most part, have the right gear. You know, obviously Mm -hmm. you'll get success you know, with whatever you use, but there are ways to like really optimize how you can get 
how like you can catch a fish with a rod and a reel and a lure like do you want to go <laughs> top fishing like what kind of rig are you tying like are you using bobbers are like the the length of your reel the the material it's made out of all these things go into like what kind of fishing you're going to be able to use like if i'm standing on the shore mm-hmm. and fishing it's going to be a lot different setup than if i'm like on a boat trawling and so the rod and the reel is definitely like the person who's there to like set up things to organize to inspire others to like to lead and then if you look at the knuckles which is based off of a practice in yeah, yeah. that's yeah. me <laughs> uh the knuckles is based off of uh, a type of fishing that's really popular in the um appalachian mountains and it, it, of like finding catfish holes and sticking your hand in them and like ripping the fish out the knuckles is like my favorite because they're really boisterous they they're all about mm-hmm. like the community and the celebration of fishing. And I am going to put an image into our Google meet chat here that anytime Mm -hmm. I need to like work on this as a game about fishing, I pull this picture up. It's from a noodling competition in Oklahoma and it's for listeners. As I try to get the link copy, is there a copy link? How do I do this? Right, right, right. (laughs) Click copy link. There we go. That's that's how Mac tells me. Yeah. So it's, it's, this this very cute person who has an extremely enormous fish that just links mm-hmm. you to the article i'm here cool. for it i see it <laughs> Co- there's copy image location so it's this person with a giant fish slung over their shoulder and the biggest smile that i've ever seen on anyone and like that's the that's the kind of feel that i want to get with this game like taking a, a big step back and looking big picture like i think that there's room in the conversation and i think that there's value in all of these like these queer games that are like essentially like Hey, you and your lover are about to die. Express your true feelings to each other. Or like, hey, you're a queer mm-hmm. ghost and you have to like go through and explore your death or something. Like all of these things I think mm-hmm. are, are very cathartic and emotional, but like I I, I don't feel like they have the impact on me that uh, a piece of queer joy can produce. And so that I mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm seeking with this is a game about fishing to to create opportunities of queer joy, but also still like be like, hey, the world's fucked up. You know, and mm-hmm. I look at that picture every time I do it, and I want to make sure that those playbooks, to answer your original question, those playbooks all have tools in their tool belt to both be joyful and indulgent, but also kind of make a comment on the larger situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think there is sort of this. I want to say trend. It's not a good word here for, but I think there there is this focus on like the ending or the big moment or the climax of something instead of like letting you like it focuses on the peak of play versus like focusing on the plateaus of play. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think sort of what you're uh, talking about is that you want sort of that peak to maybe be like pushed down a little bit and the peak can come from like the role play in of itself between that table. Mm -hmm. But I think there's something about like, letting that experience ride in waves mm. the whole time that you're sort of experiencing this game, which I think is very cool. It's, it is definitely a style of design that I think this might be the first time I've come across in a game. I think all, I think also Gordy Murphy's apotheosis also has a sort of like wave feeling to it, mm-hmm. but I love it. I love that that is sort of the intent of letting the experience be the whole thing rather than like these 
key moments. Mm-hmm. The key moments kind of come from the role play of the players and like how they manipulate the systems and mechanics mm-hmm. uh, of this game and the prompts that you provide to give those pieces. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's great. I think it's really eye opening for me in terms of like how I feel about my own designs. Yeah, hell yeah, thank you. Yeah, of course. So this is sort of like a belonging outside belonging hack, right? Uh, as it says in the mm-hmm. books, I, I made yeah. that up. But I think one of the, I've not read it per the recording of this episode mm-hmm. yet. It keeps getting mentioned on the show, still hasn't hit my library. <laughs> but I love this sort of mechanic of where you have an established, like, you basically let people make a mm-hmm. move, right? Mm-hmm. Or enhance a yeah. move. And I love this tech because just to talk like about actual like mechanical yeah, writing, yeah. right? For a second on a game on a show technically about that. <laughs> but I love that you have sort of this fictional positioning start mm-hmm. of a move and you let people write out the resolution mm-hmm. of the move. Like what happens when this move is engaged? What does that look like at the tail end mm-hmm. of it? And I think that's really what do I want to say? Really powerful because it puts a lot of agency in the people at the, for the people at the table mm-hmm. right because they can really craft their concept or that their identity of this character by writing in their resolutions right like when you lash out mm-hmm. people are scared of you right so like not only is that mechanically effective but now you've made a decision about the type of persona you're encapsulating for mm-hmm. your playbook right i am an intimidating fighter and maybe that can harm my relationships. Maybe that can help in like sticky situations. It has a lot of other layers to it when you decide that's the outcome of that move. Mm-hmm. And then you also have included like like when you have cycled through all of your shared moves, mm-hmm. you also add additional resolutions to those things. So it's always like this shifting character like this growth i think i think what i'm trying to say is that there's this like kind of character development baked into that system Mm -hmm. is that is that a belonging outside belonging thing is that something you sort of added on yeah so that's uh that's something that i kind of added on i i think the the dna from belonging outside belonging games or no dice no masters games are more in terms of the flavor build of the playbooks, which I think is the strongest suit of Belonging Outside Belonging, Mm -hmm. where, you know, the building a playbook to me is very fun because I get to say, like, here are all all the options that you can use for, like, inspiring in your mind how you are going to use whatever the moves are for the playbook. And I think the moves are maybe secondary. Normally for Belonging Outside Belonging or No Dice, No Masters games, like you you have a list of moves and then there's a token economy. So you can say for your strong mm-hmm. moves, you will have to spend a token, but you can do things that are maybe, you know, more quote unquote narratively positive. So things like in Apocalypse World, I think there's a move that's just like shut someone down that spends mm-hmm. a strong move. And then there's like weak moves where you'll gain a token that you can later spend that open you up for like quote unquote narrative complications. And I like those. I've, I've never had an issue with those playing in belonging outside belonging games, but like, I feel like again, like similar to how I'm trying to like demonetize my experience in the industry of role playing games. Like I want to de-platform the game's mechanics as like the focus of a game. And I want to maybe emphasize, Mm. yeah, I want to like emphasize the quote, the, the quote unquote non mechanics part and i put mm-hmm. those in air quotes because mm-hmm. i've had like multiple people recently tell me like everything in a game is a mechanic even if it's just flavor text like and i want to say i trust you to like play the game positive or negative mm-hmm. like 
I, I have faith in you that you understand narrative story beats and can run a game like that. The game mm-hmm. here is not the token economy. The game here is creating a story together with your friends. And I trust that you know how to do that. I'll give you everything mm-hmm. else that you need to do that. But I'm not going to tell you how. Yeah. Wow. What a, like, what an interesting way to hack something, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, for me until literally right this second, I've always considered hacking, like literally ripping an explicit mechanic from a game yeah. and remixing yeah. it, right? But this this concept, this principle of design and that you're just trying to capture the feeling or, or the, the experience and hack the experience of a mm-hmm. game is very interesting to me like very very interesting to me i think i can even like think about some games that have have done this like not not off the rip here Mm -hmm. i can't name anything off the rip but i know there's my mind is telling me you have read games (laughs) that have done this exact thing you're talking about you're just only being like awoken to the actual piece in this moment but wow that's really interesting that 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 was your intent behind Mm -hmm. this in developing this these explicit mechanics Mm -hmm. right and i've also recently been hearing this as well i think my interview with nevin holmes which just came out per the recording of this episode taught uh, sort of opened my eyes to adira slattery Mm -hmm. who is also a great designer who talks about both explicit and implicit mechanics explicit being actual like rules or procedures and implicit being like flavor text setting things and how you how your voice parses down the information to the the players mm-hmm. of the game and i there's definitely a ton of like implicit mechanics in here too when you talk about communities and breaking the law and scoring big and going mm-hmm. fishing and all of those things are both implicit and explicit so i i guess what i'm uh pointing to here is that you have effectively sort of merged the two like i couldn't I couldn't tell you, looking at your game, what is explicit from implicit, mm. right? Like, I think that's more of a trend of prompt-based games, like Belonging Outside, Belonging No Dice, No Masters mm-hmm. things. I think Dream Askew and Dream Apart also do this, but again, not games I have read, <laughs> not have hit my library yet, so I'm sorry if I fucked that up, creators of Dream Apart, Dream Askew. <laughs> I will read the game, I promise. <laughs> I am just first figuring out yeah. Twitter. But wow, like like really, really big claps for this is a game about fishing because I think you've executed on hacking experience, mm. it, hacking the experience of a mm-hmm. game really well. So for, for what I know about mm-hmm. it, that's really cool. Like great, great job, Hell yeah, Taylor. Thank you. Yeah, of course, of course. Any any final comments about like sort of the principles behind like at, you say you keep messing mm-hmm. with the game every now and again is is there sort of like a principle that's keeping like is it what's not sort of settling? Yeah, I think the thing that's not settling for me with this is I mean, I we made a joke about it. There is no concrete image of the self where it's like <laughs> And I, I say that as a joke, but also like totally true is that like as I grow and change, this is a game about fishing is the thing that I think to me is maybe the thing that I'm most proud about in games. And like I want to continue having it maintain that status in my mind. And the idea of finishing it means that it's static and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it will like if I finish it and I say there is no more change to this game, then if I change and the game doesn't, 
there's a risk that I like look back and there's contradictions or things that don't ring, no longer mm-hmm. ring true. Mm-hmm. And so when I first started it, the first build of it was like a dice pool. And so you could have your skills and the, you know, the more points you had in a skill, the larger dice you would roll. And, you know, it, it also existed as a powered by the apocalypse game at one point, And then now into this kind of hack of a belonging outside belonging and I, I think the thing that I want to close out on this is something that I'm just starting to get into now, which is having it not really exist as one static thing, but ne- but more of a, and I think this is very in theme of fishing, more of a tackle box. So like it is an umbrella of tools that you can use to play games of this is a game about fishing, but like depending on the gear that you choose to do it, your game is going to look a lot different mechanically than Mm, someone else's. mm -hmm. So I want to write little modules and hire people to write little modules to like change the way that the rules work in different ways. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we talked about Tracy Barnett. I, I hired Tracy and they, they wrote a very beautiful like lyric poem of this is a game about fishing that like, if you want to play this is a game about fishing with this poem, like you should be able to. Mm-hmm. And I, I've hired people to come in and write playbooks that change how things work. And I want to add modules like stealing the scene setting of Questlandia, which I think is one of my mm-hmm. coolest, like one of the coolest things in RPGs is Questlandia. I, I think everyone should read mm-hmm. it. I will never shut up about how much I love it. It's by Hannah Schaefer and Evan Rowland. Again, that was one of the games that really got me in when I was first early starting um to to get into indie games i i love that game so so much so like stealing the scene setting from that stealing like you know i i want it to be like if people do want to roll dice like if the the move resolution system is too vague because like i definitely Mm -hmm. acknowledge that like again my experience is different than you know than your experience maybe that like I don't have an issue improvising and role playing off of something that that isn't very structured. But like, if someone needs that, they shouldn't not be able to play my game. Mm-hmm. And so it's like trying to find like what are the modules that I want to make? What are the lures that I want to put into that tackle box so that like you can create this game experience with whatever you want to. Wow, that's a very cool way to sort of push that design, and and also thank you for like sort of sharing the the path mm-hmm. of the game too, because I think that's always helpful for listeners to show that like, I mean, how you know, I know we said that was the final, but like, <laughs> what what has been like as a quick like, how long has this game been in sort of like the because the way you say it, it sounds to me like mm-hmm. how I would phrase it or uh, to parse it is like this is tailor the mm. game. Right. Like if Taylor shifts in conversation or thought or experience, then this game also Mm -hmm. shifts in those regards. How long have you been working on? So the iteration that's up now that people can grab is like a year and a half, two years old, maybe. And I Mm -hmm. think this is the the closest that I've gotten to like one static thing that I enjoy. But Mm -hmm. I've been tooling with it for the past like five years. So again, like it was the, the yeah, like back in 2015, 2016, I had the dice pool thing, which didn't. Which worked then, but doesn't work now. And then mm-hmm. from like 2017 to 19, it was a Powered by the Apocalypse game. And then 19 on, it's been how it looks now. Amazing. Amazing. Great job, Taylor. Great job. Hell yeah. Hell <laughs> It whips. I yeah. said it.
Great. So this is, as always, these last two bits, the first one being the trend mm-hmm. section, Taylor. Hello, Hello. welcome to your first lightning round. So as always, as I ask every guest in this show, in its current iteration of how I digest information to people, digest? No, give. One of those things. (laughs) One of those things are true. You be, you decide. (laughs) What are, (laughs) what are some trends that you are uh, seeing that are blipping up in your social circles, your social commentaries, Twitter, discords, friends mm-hmm. of game design or anything like that. You're seeing are really cool for the space. Maybe is there a trend out there that you find is being a little bit detractful and you want to caution people against approaching or what is a trend within yourself that you want to speak out that someone listening can just take and mm-hmm. run with it. I knew this question was coming and I did nothing to prepare for it. So Perfect. but yeah, I mean again, That's machine like gun it. We're going to wall of sound it. I think that the the trend mm-hmm. that I really appreciate is kind of like moving away from like the idea of. No, I'm going to start over. The trend, <laughs> the trend that I really like <laughs> and enjoy is these sort of like games that are mini games. So mm-hmm. like Spindle Wheel is a great example of this a Stew Pot. Spindle Wheel by Sasha Renault, Stew Pot by Takuma Okada, and mm-hmm. like the Firebrands framework by Vincent McKay mm-hmm. Baker, where you are playing a bunch of smaller games in themselves. So uh, Stew Pot is one that I think does a really great job. Stew Pot is one of my favorite games like ever written. The concept is you mm-hmm. are a group of like adventurers who are settling down and like starting a, a tavern or like an inn and as you play through the game you trade your adventuring experience for innkeeper experience and you can like <laughs> repurpose uh, a lot of these skills but it it's played through mini games so it will rotate who is the spotlight character for each of these games and they're short they're like like a fight breaks out who is the instigators and who is trying to stop the fight instigators what do you do to escalate the situation people who are trying to stop the fight like how do you separate the the people and like Mm -hmm. you you play through that and then it's done in like 15 20 minutes and and then you go on to the next game which could be another fight or it could be like you have a food critic who's visiting you know here's a game about collecting all the the materials and essentially playing chopped like and and I, I adore that because all of these these things are small, encapsulated, very concentrated experiences. And for me, like mm-hmm. I can't focus on like four hours of the same thing. I can't play Dungeons and Dragons sure. anymore. But what I can do is focus very briefly on these twenty minute mini games that all form mm-hmm. a piece of the whole. And I, I think that Spindle Wheel does the same thing. Stupot is I I believe Stupot is a hack of the Firebrains system. But yeah, I, I really want to see more mini games that come out of out of RPGs. Do you think that this is also something, cause I talked about this a bit with Aaron mm-hmm. Lim quite a while ago about the concept of like phased play, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. certain sections of the game's interactions have their own mechanics within the same game, yeah. right? Like blades in the dark is a perfect example of like you're getting, you're getting two games for the price of one, mm-hmm. this micro, high style game in your character sheets and then this macro level crew sheet sort of experience, mm-hmm. right? These downtime phase mm-hmm. things. So in tandem with that, do do you feel that like cuz a lot of people hack Blades in the Dark. I guess is sort of what I'm Yeah, yeah. moving my conversation sure. towards as I figure out words that are coming out of my yeah, mouth. Yeah. But do you think that like 
Because Blade, I feel like things like Blades in the Dark or Powered by the Apocalypse hacks are sort of getting trite, but they have getting get their they present a lot of like a game does not have to be one thing the full way mm-hmm. through. So in this mini game, and I hear a lot of people love Firebrands. I actually recently read, read Firebrands. Finally hit my library oh, yeah. after what is this like twenty six <laughs> episodes? Whatever. I think I have the word. I think I have twenty six episodes on my podcast list three yeah. times. So I have to go through and alter that, <laughs> but. What I am asking yeah. here, Taylor, as I start all the way over in yes. my brain because it moves very fast. <laughs> Do you think this product of minigame design is – or phase play mm-hmm. design? I think those things are interchangeable here sure. uh, yeah. is part of what I was trying to say. Do you think that is a result of like traditional gaming, how like – Try, like figuring out how to play with the adult nine to five schedule, like people who are doing day jobs and want to get together mm-hmm. and hang out, but they don't want to learn the complexities of D and D or they don't have like four to six hours to like rip through mm-hmm. an adventure uh, in their own speed. Do you think it's a result of that? Like trying to parse down the amount of time play is actually engaged in. I think there's correlation. I don't know if there's causation where it's sure, like, I, sure. I think that, that, Phase play games or mini game games definitely play well with folks for whom that's a concern. But like I've also played mm-hmm. like at Big Bad Con, I played a game of Stewpot for four hours. Like that was a mm-hmm. big chunk of time that that we could devote time and energy to. I I don't necessarily know that I have a firm grasp on like why those games exist or like what the sure. design intent behind them was. But yeah, no, I, I think that they play well together, those two ideas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I find it really like I'm a big fan of phase play because I like that it's also like a, a pacing thing. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm kind of like a story structure mm-hmm. junkie, and that like I, I like uh, I like researching those sorts of things, those sorts of architectures. Mm-hmm. And I find it interesting that, like, when I think about D and D, it's kind of it kind of has two phases. It doesn't talk about it, but D and D has two phases: it has role play and it has mm-hmm. combat. And the combat portion is real long, <laughs> and then role playing helps break up that pacing. So, and I, what I'm saying is, I think it's intrinsically wanted by players at the table, and so when there are games that help facilitate that pacing say hey when you're done with doing this take a second take five look through your character sheets and start making some faction decisions on your downtime Mm -hmm. phase right like take a breather from having to like role play fast right i think there's 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 also room for experimentation about like slow and fast role play Mm. like you can be a little bit more methodical about what you want right you can like retcon some things I heard someone, there's a D&D actual play slash audio drama called Dark Dice that I okay. listened to. Great pod, uh, great podcast by Fools and, Fool and Scholar Productions. But basically what they do, instead of having you listen to them roll D20s and engage in combat, they do a lot of like narrative skill mm-hmm. checks and role play. And then the GM, who is also like the designer of a lot of the shows for that for that audio drama company goes back and redoes exposition as like a voiceover. Mm. So it parses down a three hour, like actual play into like half hour episodes mm-hmm. because he basically narrates the combat to an ending point rather than taking the turn mm-hmm. chronology to figure that out. And so the reason I bring that up is that I've heard people like homebrew 
I think Adam Bell and me talked about this in like mm-hmm. private a while ago about how, why maybe it was on the Colin show, like sort of retcon mm-hmm. it. Like you don't need to talk about how many divine smites the paladin hit someone with just talk about what did that combat feel mm-hmm. like after it's all said and done, like talk about the whole thing. Like, okay, we engaged in the fight and what it really went down to being is like, we burst into the room, we hit them with a bunch of flash and fireballs and, and pizzazz. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's it. Like this, that was the result of what was happened. So I think, what I like about you bringing up minigame games, bringing up phase play, is that it's pace. It helps with pacing. It helps consider pacing in like a role play fashion. I think it also like delivers different cognitive mm-hmm. loads, right? I think it lets you like reset and sort of palate cleanse yourself mm-hmm. as well. And I, I think th- I think that's very very cool. I'll have to check out Stew Pot. I'm gonna write that down. Yeah, I super love Stew Pot. Yeah. Any additional trends that that you want to seek about, Taylor? A trend that frustrates me. Normally, I don't like mm-hmm. to talk about trends that I'm frustrated with, but like I think this one has mm-hmm. some value. Is people like people? Yeah, I feel like they're missing the story for the tr- missing the story for the trees. If I can mix my metaphor here, in whenever we say like, oh, you know, th- this game was great. We barely touched the dice, and people talking about that as yeah. like, a bad experience. But I think it's maybe like mm-hmm. a miss misappropriated view of what an experience was going like what that experience was. Cause like, I feel mm-hmm. like no rules collaborative storytelling can be a game. And by mm-hmm. saying like, mm-hmm. Oh, it's not great. If they say we didn't touch the dice, we still had, you know, we, we told this great story. We had a great game. We didn't touch the dice that like there are unwritten rules in collaborative storytelling that are as much a game as you know making sure that you're you know getting your 2d6 in like (laughs) and i see the i see the merit in the argument that like if you're playing a game you should be there playing the game and if you're going to tell a story with your friends you should be going and telling a story with your friends but like my argument Mm -hmm. here is with that trend like being frustrated with the trend of that argument being passed around in the discourse is that like telling a story with your friends is play and is a game, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I don't have a full and developed thesis, but it sure. bugs me every time I see that. No, this is like I I am on that spectrum of people who are like, if you're there to play the game, mm-hmm. play the game, right? Like that's that's how I engage in role plays. Like I'm here to yeah. play D and I'm here to play Blades of Dark. I'm here to play Street sure. Pot, right? Like that's what we came to do today. I like rolling dice. I like the click clack. I like engaging yeah. in mechanics. I come from a video game background. But recently, I've learned about in a conversation with Ava Islam, mm-hmm. we talked about the sort of like FKR side of uh, role play or game design. It stands. I was going to say I'm for, not familiar with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Freed. Mm. Jeremy, edit edit this out. Game design. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Where is it? Freed. Oh, it is on my phone. Stand by. Stand by, <laughs> Taylor. I just want to make sure I get this word right because I don't just want to say FKR. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Search. Should I just search in the Brain FKR. Trust distri- Discord for FKR? <laughs> No, I actually have my own Discord where we talked Ooh. about this, which you are more than welcome to join now that you're... An, I mean, you were always welcome, but now that you're an alumni, it's kind of demanding yeah. of you. 
Hello, connect. Freed. Why won't it search my messages? Free Creek Spill Revolution. Thank you. Thank you. There it is. Power of the internet. We're back in it, Jeremy. <laughs> Claps. So, yeah, would you say that for me one more yeah. time, Taylor? Is it Free Kriegspiel Revolution? Yes. F- that's the FKR sort of culture of game design in which it is really just like the 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 meat of it is that you're just designing a character by writing down like two to three traits or qualities. It might be something like really good at fighting, really good at tying your shoes, really good at making a cup of coffee. And then you just go, you just start having like negotiation style role play where you're like, you're engaging with the fictional environment, you're putting up these theoreticals, and then you see how those traits or qualities help adjust Mm -hmm. those things. And so, you know, I was also the mind, like, are you playing a game or are you just playing improv Mm -hmm. at the table when you're not engaging with the Mm -hmm. die, you know, getting your 2d six in. Right. And, Not to say that I was closed-minded about that experience, but one wasn't the other. And I think that discourse sort of inertias or orbits around, like, D&D. I think Mm -hmm. that the biggest thing is, like, that's not how you play D&D. You play D&D by rolling a D20 Mm -hmm. and and engaging with those pass-fail mechanics. And if you didn't do it, you weren't playing D&D, you were doing something else. Sort of that, like, gatekeepy sphere. I think Mm -hmm. that's, like, in because I see that similar conversation i think it comes from those sort of like gatekeeper spaces as well that like leak out into other thought thought trains right and so i totally vibe with what you're putting out there of like hey you know we always have to ask ourselves what is Mm -hmm. play what is actually play Mm -hmm. is that engaging with the d20 or is that engaging with fiction and narrative or is it engaging with thought experiments that you enact upon when we talk about (coughs) excuse me uh when we talk about character bleed and playing larps and that's those sort of experiences as well right i think that's a really cool thing that you Mm -hmm. brought up and i think it's sort of like like a re-examination of the self Mm -hmm. i think it's it's definitely good to put it out there because like oh I've also been yeah. that person who's like, you're not playing if you're not yeah. dicing, but is that actually true? Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to come. I think, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no. You, you, you're the guest. <laughs> I'm going to compare it to music again and being like, if, if we're thinking about that, that sort of conversation, like it's, it's kind of like mm-hmm. if I were to play a piece of classical music, like if, if I were to mm-hmm. be in an orchestra and play Tchaikovsky, and I said, yeah, that concert mm-hmm. went great. I didn't look at the music once. That would be bad. Yeah. Like, I, I, I cannot imagine a concert in which I was not asked to leave the musical group <laughs> for not, not looking at my Tchaikovsky music, you know? But, like, if I'm, if I'm playing in a jazz group, I might get bars and chords rather than musical notes on the page. And mm-hmm. I can still look at that and be like, okay, well, here I'm playing in the key of A. And it's up to mm-hmm. me to decide what notes I get to choose to play, as long as it's mm-hmm. in the key of A and kind of in the same rhythm as everyone else. And if I say, oh, yeah, that concert went great. I didn't look at the music once. Like, that's a different conversation than the Tchaikovsky experience. And then even further, mm-hmm. if you're looking into music like free jazz or like avant-garde, like if you're looking at at Machine Gun, like I I 
will admit I'm not familiar with the the tablature of machine gun. Um, but like mm-hmm. if you're if you're just there and you're creating a wall of sound, like it doesn't. I can do whatever I want with my instrument, regardless of key, regardless of note, regardless of rhythm. Sometimes, and like creating an experience and a piece of art there and using that example if i say yeah that that concert was great i didn't look at the music once it's like of course you didn't why would you like and, it wasn't and there. so like i i want to i want to still i want to still say that there's value in that co- that kind of conversation of like you know how much do you engage with dice mechanics with you know whatever versus how much is like going off of your own collaborative storytelling is you know I say this a lot, good and bad don't mean anything, but it's a different conversation depending on like what the game is and what the games that you're playing. So like I say all of that to be like, I really respect like people who are like, Hey, I'm, I'm here to play the game and we're going to follow these mechanics because that's the experience that we're looking for. But I also want to push back mm-hmm. against the trend of like a lot of people kind of maligning that response to not touching the dice. Mm -hmm. yeah it's i think what it ultimately points to what i feel in what we're talking about ultimately points to is like it just has to be an agreed upon Mm -hmm. structure for the people at the table right not any onlookers or like people you're telling after Mm -hmm. the fact it's like hey we all agreed to show up to play D and D today and i want a divine smite thing so can we roll something right versus (laughs) another table that like the structure is Mm -hmm hey, I just had this character concept and can we just sort of like Mm -hmm. hash out some prompts like belonging outside belonging or or something like that and just talk it out? And like, yes, that's the structure we agreed upon. So let's engage in that, right? So I think it's for the people at the table, it's about the structure you uh, to facilitate the role play, Mm -hmm. right? But all versions are valid role play just as all versions of those uh, beautiful music examples you gave us are <laughs> music. Cause you agreed upon like today I want to listen to free form jazz, no matter how crazy that sounds to <laughs> other people. Right. Because to you, it is still yeah. music because it still engages in the components of music play, whether that is a orchestra and symphony or just a wall of mm-hmm. brass and string and mm-hmm. keys, right. And percussion. So I think that's very good. I think that's a very good analogy you you put up there, Taylor. Oh, yeah. Lightning round, TLDR tip. Taylor, uh, usually I roll dice here, yes. but I think that I am slowly, because I keep rolling fours, <laughs> if you've been listening yeah. to the show, I use different dice every time. So I am now trying to structure more of my tips to get in a, a particular person's expertise or field, because I think that's more beneficial than asking a mm-hmm. random uh, question. So Taylor, in sort of, I know this is probably going to be really tied to your personal perspective mm-hmm. and experience, but 
and not every game is made for every individual, but I am someone who likes to eat up a lot of different things. So in, in sort of thinking about mm-hmm. queer play, right? I had a Paulino Caputo on a while back. We talked about their experiences with trying to engage in their perspectives and their experiences and getting queer play out into the field. I think Adira does very similar things as well with her works. And how can, this might be like a two-parter, I don't want to ask what defines queer play. That's not the question I'm trying to get here. But that's like the yeah, thing yeah. that keep like, is this the simplest way to parse that out? No, it is not because it's not the correct way. But what is sort of like, how, how do we, how do we support mm-hmm. queer play? Right. I think in both, and the reason it's two parts, like both in the vein is being a queer person, mm-hmm. which I am n- not, mm-hmm. but you know, then I think about like, I think about like what it what is it to be straight and, and am I actually like in my own way queer yeah, yeah. right and this isn't the like I don't want to I don't want to say it to diminish anyone else's like transition of a queer experience but I'm like you know what is this what is this fluidness how do I support yeah. that how do I you know I am a person who by traditional means is straight but I don't like think in that sure. context I just think that my attraction is towards female presenting right so. Like how do we how do we support queer play in our role play right and regardless of mechanics yeah. right like how do we come to the table how do we come to an understanding like how can I be a person mm-hmm. right to support actual plays streams podcasts mm-hmm. like those sorts of things how do I come to the table and present a character that helps facilitate that environment or from your experience of designing how how do we send a message mm-hmm. with our or not send a message but how do we parse that experience. Mm-hmm in a way that doesn't have to be for traditionally straight people, but is more of like, what do you think has been successes for yeah. you in getting queer play out into the yeah. field? Does that make I sense? Does. That's a very yes. long question, but I wanted to make sure that I was yeah. as muddily <laughs> clear as possible. Yeah. I ask a similar question on Game Closet to every one of my guests. I, I say, if you mm-hmm. were to give someone one piece of advice to make your games more queer, what piece of advice would that be? And I... Every guest gives me a unique answer, and I really enjoy all of them. So I'll mm-hmm. and I'll run through like the the highlight reel of the ones, the pieces of advice that stick with me, like for a ways mm-hmm. after the interview. And that's not to say that if I don't mention your answer, that that it doesn't stick with me. Because again, I love mm-hmm. every single answer that I get to that question. But yeah, but right, exactly. Minutes, so I give you the highlights, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. So Lucian. It's my fault. Khan says to make space to remember queer joy. And that answer really, really stuck with me in in terms of like, if you are looking to write a queer game, remember the full breadth of the queer experience. And I think that there's a trend in a lot of media that's made both by queer and straight people to focus on the struggle of queer existence, to say, you know, hey, these are the the issues that queer people deal with on a day-to-day basis. Like, I'm using this as an example to illustrate the trend and not as as a way to detract from the game, because I do think that it is a genuinely beautiful game. Together, we write Private Cathedrals by, by... Ben, I can't remember Ben's last name for some reason. Ben Roswell. Yes. Together We Write Private Cathedrals is a a gorgeous game about having to hide your queerness in uh, society so that you can, you know, essentially be stealth as straight. And it's about looking at Mm -hmm. historical or historic relationships between 
people who we may now today contextualize as being in a queer relationship. But mm. either, you know, back then we didn't have the language or there's not a lot of existing evidence that like really concretely says here is who I am and here's how I de- identify. That is a, to be very reductive, is a bummer to think about. And again, I do love, I love this game to death. I, I wish more people would read it and I wish it would be talked about more. But mm. that that kind of, experience is not the sole experience of myself as a queer person. That is for sure a very strong sense because a lot of queer history has been kind of in the shadows or in, in stealth for, for a lot of safety reasons. But like another piece of my, my queer identity is that like, it's one of my favorite things about who, who I am. Like my mm-hmm. being queer brings me so much joy every single day. And my, the joy that I get from my queer friends, the joy that I get from, you know, talking about being queer, about reading about being queer, about, you know, any any sort of that experience brings me more happiness than a lot of other things can do. And so it's something that I do have to remind myself also to make space for that joy and to be intentional about showing showing the queer magic of existing. <laughs> Vidicio Valetti, past guest of Game Closet and also Draw Your Dice, Vidicio Valetti said, think about your hierarchies and if you can get rid of them. There's a piece of queer theory that is all about like you know, the the boxes that we think about things, the way that we think about things in terms of their labels is a disservice to the things themselves. And hierarchies are a natural way to, like, think about things. And so if you say there is no one important part of my game or there's, like, if you're talking about a hack, like, there is no essential Powered by the Apocalypse thing. Like, there are a bunch of things in Powered by the Apocalypse. There's a bunch of things in Belonging Outside Belonging, but not one thing makes those things that thing. There is no hierarchy of existence. And so when you think about your games, like, think about that mechanically, but then also think about, like, what is the important activity or, like, practice that you're doing in your games and split that up, like, mess with that. There's also a lot of people that say, like, put don't be afraid to do it or just like just do it is a common advice that we get a lot. Like mm-hmm. if you're making a mm-hmm. game like and you think, should I do X, Y, Z, do it, you know, go for it. So I guess those are the the like three big things that I, I would recommend in terms of like how to think about queer games and, you know, how to get them out into the field. Do you think as well how just sort of like for me as a, as a support, as a person mm-hmm. who supports, mm-hmm. how do I make... I mean, I can't, I don't, I don't think I have the capabilities to write a queer game or even write queer components. And I don't mean that, like, I wouldn't want Mm -hmm. to try. I mean that as in that if I did it, it would probably be a disservice to the conceptual existence Mm -hmm. of that space, right? I feel like as kind as I could be Mm -hmm. at executing it, it would be like a C minus in comparison <laughs> to like other things, yeah, yeah. right? So how can we support maybe not necessarily queer yeah, play, yeah. right? I'm not trying to invent sure. queer play, but how can I bring queer identity, sure. right? How can I help allow fluidity in my game design to support those persons that exist inside of my yeah. setting, inside of my mechanics, inside of I, I th- 
Or what are your yeah, ideas? Yeah, I guess, that, I guess is, the, is the more tame question. My ideas right? on that are many and varied. But I, I think back to, I was on a podcast called the My Gay Agenda podcast. And one of the questions mm-hmm. that they asked was like, what's one message that you want to tell straight people? And right. I think that my answer there, I think, applies to here. You know, anytime someone straight says like, how do I, how do I make my games more welcoming? Or how do I represent queerness in my games? Like, my my answer there is straight people can do queer shit like like mm-hmm. you can play you can role play as queer character like this isn't me giving you permission like whatever and it is also not sure. a hand wave to if you do these things poorly you know you're free of consequence because right. taylor said so yeah but it's like it's like you can do all of the things that you see queer people do in their games, in your games. Like mm-hmm. we don't own the patent on replacing your gender box with your, with a, a box that says pronouns or like Sleepaway does this really well sure. in that. Like it gives you abstract thoughts for gender. So like you could say like my gender is a rusted mm. sword or my gender is like a piece of moss growing on an old log. Like, look at what queer people are doing with their queer games and like some of the conversations that are happening there and like know that you, those are tools that can be in your toolbox as well. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, so I'm asking Taylor, not like the queer, <laughs> those sort of like, cause I've, I've seen some people or have heard some people like, and no one in like my close circles or like understanding circles, mm-hmm. but sort of like people I've had in my life that, Look at those, like you said, how Sleepaway does sort of like gender personifications. Mm-hmm. Do you do you feel like you don't feel like those things are insulting in any way? Or I mean, I'm sure there could be mm-hmm. versions of them that are insulting. Yes, I, I totally agree <laughs> with that. Or want to recognize that, not not the yeah, yeah. something to that effect. But do you feel like those things are easily done poorly, or is it? I don't know. I just feel like being compared to an item has rubbed some people the wrong yeah. way, right? Like no matter how sort of poetic you are about it. How do yeah. you feel about that? That one specifically? Um, I mean, like, I guess the thing, looking at it from the opposite way, like I, I tell straight people, you can do queer things. And I also tell queer people, like, you can, you can do things that you're worried about doing because it's a trope that straight people do it. Like I mm-hmm. think a while back about telling a friend and I, I don't know if I have permission to share the story, so I'm going to keep it anonymous. Like telling a friend who came to me like, Absolutely. Hey, I'm thinking about this with, you know, a story or like this actual play that I'm doing. And I'm worried that it falls into the like barrier gaze tropes with which if mm-hmm. anyone's not familiar, it is a trope among media often produced by straight people where the, the queer folks will get together and then immediately die where it's very often assumed like, Hey, this death is because you are queer. And so I, I I tell my, my friend, like, you know what, just because this is a trope that a trope that straight people do doesn't like, you're not straight. You are not bound by this. That's their problem and not yours. And I, I say that to be like, on one hand, yes, straight people do all these queer things. Like you can, you can, have open-ended gender stuff in your games. You can do all these things, but like so can queer people and queer people can mess it up as often as straight people and queer people can do all these things. Mm -hmm. And like just the fact that like whether you're queer or you're straight does not preclude you from fucking up. And it also doesn't preclude you from doing it really, really well. Mm -hmm. Like I don't know personally how a Brandon Conway identifies, but masks is a very queer game to me as a queer person. And thinking about like, this is ostensibly written by a straight person who gets it 
in a lot of ways about like how identity is built, how other people tell you who you are and how you respond to that and how you create yourself. Masks is to me a very queer experience. So if someone who is looking to to do right by a queer audience in games, I would say, you know, do something that feels authentic to you and your goals there with mm-hmm. the idea that you could fuck up, but you could also make something really mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. I think what I want to say, like what I'm what I'm thinking about as you're talking about this, as you're giving sort of me this advice, because, you know. Shame, shameless mention here, everyone. I do this show because I want to learn how yeah, to yeah. design, and you all get to benefit yeah. from that for free. So that's the secret. That's the secret draw your dice sauce. But what I think about is like it's not just about like gender specifically, but it's more about identity mm-hmm. generally. And what I mean by that, like just this is just me like kind of digesting what you're talking about here. And I think there's something about figuring out like who you oh, I think are you froze. Oh, and no. how you're, how you can work that into the game of like, how can you make a person feel like they've captured who they are? I think is, is something to, Oh, uh, did I lose my connection? Hello, Taylor. Stand by. Did I freeze or did you freeze is the question. No. Hello, you're back. Jesus. (laughs) That's my sponsor, AT&T, saying. What I was saying is that I think that there is an idea behind identity generally Mm -hmm. in that, like, are you facilitating someone to truly come to the table with their concept in mind and make Mm -hmm. that happen, right? Like, are you providing the tools to let someone be expressive rather than keeping to a limited set of options Mm -hmm. like male, female, you know, dragonborn, half elf, like there's so much more to a person. So give, allow people to express those Mm -hmm. details, right? Like how do you present how, what are, what sort of relationships, 
shapes are you looking towards, right? Like how can you put the, write those things down on a paper, put them in a document and help lead people to say like, what are you interested in? How, how do you want to interact with this fictional space with your avatar, your vessel, mm-hmm. right? So in just sort of talking about like listening to you, listening to what you're sort of like laying on me and thinking about the things that you're saying, I think a big, for me, as a straight person, as a traditionally straight person, it, it's about providing the chance for identity mm-hmm. molding, right? Like, and I mean that in like as as fractal as a way as yeah, yeah. possible, not just like two or three options. Or like, what kind of clothes are you wearing? What's your mm-hmm. hair like? And that's it. Like, it's it's so much identity is so much mm-hmm. more than that. And I think thinking in that context could help in it inform my designs better to facilitate more queer identity mm-hmm. in games yeah. in my games my non-existent <laughs> games at this point but one day we will get a game out there jeremy i Hell swear yeah. does it does that does that make sense like is what i'm saying is that something that you feel is like a good like distillation of what what you're yeah, saying I, I think so i think there's one level in which you could ask, how do I let my players represent who they are and tell the stories about who they are? Mm-hmm. And then I think that there's another mm-hmm. level, which, and again, to to borrow from Viditia, like there there is no hierarchy between these two levels. They exist separately, you know, mm-hmm. lab- laterally. There's another level where it's mm-hmm. like, what is the play experience of this and how can we, like, how does the, the play of this queer game rather than how do I represent my queer person in it. I think it's mm-hmm. the conversation is different depending on who you are. The conversation between us as individual creators is a lot different between should I be focusing on how people can represent themselves or should I be focusing on the play experience, you know, creating a play experience that, that speaks to queer people than it is for... Because, uh, like, one of my pet peeves is... The Queer is a Three-Sided Dice panel at Gen Con every year, which is usually hosted by, like, Green Ronin or Paizo. And it's, like, a bunch of company Mm -hmm. HR representatives or game designers talking about how their game is really gay because in one adventure you can play a gay farmer. (laughs) Um, And so, like, I... I, No! I, I don't want to detract from like the fact that yes, it is great in these large, you know, quote unquote AAA companies that there is queer representation mm-hmm. in some of their published materials. But I do not think that those experiences speak to what I'm looking for as a queer tabletop role player. What I'm yeah. looking for is more of these together we write private cathedrals, uh sleep away, stew pot, you know, mm-hmm. these games that in in their experience themselves are queer more than you can play a queer character in them. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. That's good. That's good stuff. And I'm glad that you, that you brought up that panel mm-hmm. too. I think it's like, don't, don't just, don't just label a small part of mm-hmm. your game with the one word, you know, from the <laughs> LGBTQ like yeah. acronym, right? It, it's so much more than that. So yeah. I, I'm gl- I'm glad you. Brought and I will up. say, Thank like the, those panels are great. They they allow people who are queer in those larger companies a platform to celebrate that queerness. Like they're run by mm-hmm. you know, Crystal Fraser is usually there, and you know, uh, I think that generally I I like her a lot. Tanya DePass has been on those, and I I love Tanya so much. Yeah, the, like, they're not always not great, but there is 
more than one of them where I left more disappointed than I was expecting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good. Great. Good. Well, well, we are at <laughs> yes. the two-hour mark. We are at the two. Taylor, it is Saturday as we record, and there is so much more yes. Saturday to be had. I want to thank you so much for being here today. You have brought so many cool things to my mind so many cool things that have really like truly molded me as a, yeah. as a designer in this moment where can people find you where can they get in touch with you where can they buy your things again you mm-hmm. know self promo plugs all these links that taylor is going to share with us will be down below in the show notes for your Absolutely. access listeners. yeah uh, i am on twitter at leviathan files you can grab any number of games at riverhousegames.h.io the thing that i would really appreciate everyone doing is listening to game closet an informal chat show with all sorts mm-hmm. of queer and lgbt plus amazing folks in this space and check out the 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 people who i have there on as guests because they're all wonderful and you can also listen to the rss defiant to listen to us talk about star trek deep space nine <laughs> Get the inside taste of who Taylor is at any given moment. (laughs) Once again, thank you so much, Taylor. For everyone who's listening out there, I have been molded (laughs) today, and I hope that you have as well. Uh, I love listening to these sorts of conversations and and really, you know, clamming up and and (laughs) getting getting my nose into it. So thank you, everyone. Thank you, Taylor. And we will see you in the next episode. Say bye to the people, Taylor. Bye to the people, Taylor. Bye! Bye! Uh. (laughs) Alright, that's a wrap. Thank you for taking the time to sit down and hang out with Taylor and I. We really appreciate it. You can find links and resources down below in the show notes, such as getting in touch with Taylor or other episodes with similar topics. If you want to be a part of the conversation, please come and join the community Discord server. Also, make sure to subscribe to the Draw Your Dice Patreon where you can get access to early releases of episodes from as soon as we interview. Thanks again for stopping by, and as always, I will catch you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.